All right, folks, good evening. Welcome to the mine. We're glad you're here tonight. I realize that, you know, we don't have childcare tonight, so that did cut out a few folks tonight. Uh, but uh, next week, in fact, for the next three weeks after that, we will have childcare, so we'll be back up and running. Uh, so again, we hope we're going to finish strong this semester. We've got uh, three more after tonight. Yeah, the 1st of May, the 8th of May, and the 15th of May. So we've got three more after tonight. Yes, we're going to finish strong. All right, without any further ado, we want to worship the Lord tonight. Amen? All right, Seth, take it away. Amen. Thank you, Seth. Let's give Seth a hand. Yes. It is so good to have Seth. Hey, before we get started tonight, um, some of you knew this as you came. Um, There was a real serious accident right out here on the highway tonight, right down from the church, and uh, the car had a cornerstone sticker on it, and uh, they took whoever was in that car to the hospital by ambulance, and it was pretty serious car accident, uh, and we think, again, preliminary, you know how these things are, uh, but we think it was somebody who was coming to the mine tonight, um, who was, so what I'd like to do is just stop and pray, um, God knows who they are. And whether they were coming or not, and whether they even had a cornerstone sticker on or not, I, I want to pray for, for this uh, person who was involved with this accident and whoever else was involved uh, with that accident uh, right down here on uh, the 202. So let's, uh, let's just take this before the Lord. God, we are saddened to hear, uh, Lord, about this accident tonight right here by our church. And uh, Father... Uh, we just lift up all who were involved in that accident tonight to you. Um, God, we just lay them at your feet and just pray, Father, that, uh, that their injuries from this accident are not serious, uh, not life-threatening in any way. And that, Lord, even right now, uh, that they might just sense you wrapping your arms of love around them and giving them a squeeze and that they might just have a calmness and a peace and uh, an assurance that everything's going to be okay. Lord, may you even witness with their spirit that uh, there are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are right now praying for them and are right there beside of them in our thoughts and in our prayers. And Lord, we just pray you'd lift them up. Just give those who will be attending to them when they get to the hospital wisdom and, and just, Lord, again... We just pray until we hear something one way or the other, Father, that you would just intervene in this terrible accident and just work, we pray, and uh, heal, we pray. And uh, Lord, we'll just give this all to you and everything that comes out of it to you. And uh, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Wow, Uh, this really goes along with where we want to start out tonight again. Uh, If you have your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 12... Uh, I would like to begin in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 12. So if you'd like to follow along tonight, that's where we're going to begin again in Hebrews 12, 12. And again, as I always share with folks that come out to the mind that every week can stand on its own, even though we're doing a book study and going through it. And I just want to remind us all that we have come to a place in the book of Hebrews where the writer is comparing our Christian life to this long-distance marathon. And he is encouraging us to stay spiritually in shape. 
Because he said the best way we're going to navigate this marathon called the Christian life is to stay spiritually fit. So early on in the chapter, he says, you know, like a long distance runner, we've got to get rid of the weight and all that kind of stuff. It's going to weigh us down and keep us from keeping on, keeping on. Now, like any runner, even those who are in shape, there comes points in races where they just hit a wall, where they get tired no matter how much they've trained and whatever, and where they've got to really sort of get a second wind, we call that. I think that's part of what he's talking about here in Hebrews 12.12 when he says, Therefore, strengthen your listless hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but be healed. The point I want to jump into to start with tonight is this, and we didn't look at this aspect of it last week when we ended up. It's important that we be strengthened. And that ultimately we allow God to strengthen us, but God in His economy, in His way of doing things, also says that you and I are to be His hands and His feet. Therefore, in the original language, in verse 12, the word strengthen is a word that means it is our corporate responsibility to strengthen each other. To come alongside of each other, and just like in a race, Instead of how we would see it, obviously, in the world where, you know, people are running a race and if I pass you, that's good for me and I just keep on going and I try to put as much distance between me and you as I can, that in the Christian race and in the Christian life, if I see a Christian brother or sister hurting or who's lagging behind or who's sucking air and, you know, not not managing very well, that, that the Christian thing to do, the Christ thing to do, is to stop where I am in the race and to help encourage them in their race. It's sort of what Jesus said when He said, hey, I'm like the good shepherd that I could have 99 sheep following me really obediently and I might have that one sheep who goes off and He said, but I'm going after that one sheep because the 99 are going to be there when I get back. So when we see this concept of strengthening I want us to look at it again in the concept that it is meant to be, and that is corporately, how can we strengthen each other? And maybe even today, what are some things that we have done to strengthen each other? And maybe God even right now as I'm speaking through the Holy Spirit is laying a person's name or a face or something in your mirror in a sense and saying, here's somebody that you and I could truly strengthen and encourage in their walk with God. And God wants you and I to come alongside of them in this race where they are beginning to hurt a little bit and and lag behind and not keep up and, and to just come alongside and strengthen them. In fact, keep your finger there in Hebrews. Here's another great verse. Go back to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, if you go back through Hebrews left, then you'll come to Philemon and then Titus and 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and then you get to the book of Galatians. I know that was the hard way to get there. Do this. You know what I tell people? If you don't know the books of the Bible yet, just buy a book, a Bible with tabs in it. It's so easy. You know, just, there it is. There's where, I love that. I love tabs. Okay. I'm all about tabs. I had tabs for years. So get tabs. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that, was, that was not part of the message tonight, but anyway. <laughs> um, here, I'm just going to read beginning in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6, the very last chapter. He says, brothers and sisters, so he's addressing this to Christians. If a person 
is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. This isn't the part I want to concentrate on tonight, but it's still dealing with all the same thing about how we're supposed to be there for each other and strengthen each other and all of that. He says, pay close attention to yourself so that you are not tempted to. And here's the verse I really wanted to look at. It's a great verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. And in doing so, you and I are fulfilling the law of Christ, the law which said that the second greatest command was to love our neighbor as ourselves. Bear one another's burdens or carry one another's burdens. Now, hang in there with me and go down to verse 5. A few verses later, he says, oh, by the way, each one of you carry your own load. (laughs) Okay, Paul, what is it? All right, yeah, it sounds like a contradiction to me. A few verses earlier, you're saying bear each other's burdens, and now you're saying carry your own load. What's he speaking of here? I think I can help, okay? Let me start out with, first of all, verse 5. When he says to carry your own load in verse 5, he's simply saying this. Life has responsibilities. There are responsibilities that we have in life and that we're to carry, and we're not to dump those responsibilities on somebody else. They're ours. They're our responsibility. God laid those responsibilities on me. That's the ones he's talking about in verse 5. So, for instance, for me practically, it is my responsibility to be my wife's husband and my children's father. And I'm not to shove that responsibility off on somebody else. That's my God-given responsibility. And it's my God-given responsibility to be a teaching pastor here at Cornerstone and do the mine. I'm not to shove that responsibility off on somebody else. That's mine to carry because those are my responsibilities that God has given me. And in order to honor Christ with my life, the responsibilities that God gives me, I need to fulfill and, and carry through. So, I don't want to get off on this tonight, but that's where sometimes we have to differentiate between the the responsibilities that God truly wants us to have and the ones we think we're supposed to have. Okay, that that can upset us a little bit. And then that's the contrast in verse 2, because in verse 2, he's talking about in the Greek language, an extra heavy load that comes into a person's life that they weren't expecting. Then it's our responsibility as the body of Christ to reach out to them, and like in Hebrews chapter 12, to have find some way to strengthen them, to encourage them, to restore them. For instance, you know, uh, we hear of somebody maybe who had an accident or something, and they're laid up for a while, they can't work. You know, the body of Christ is supposed to be good at maybe taking meals to them for a while until they can do that, and obviously praying for them and visiting them and things like that. That's what he's talking about in verse 2 when he says, carry one another's burdens. That those extra heavy loads that just all of a sudden we're going through life and all of a sudden, whoa, and it wasn't something that I dumped on myself. It wasn't something that I chose. It was just something that life happened and here is this extra heavy load that I wasn't expecting. I, I didn't know it was coming and here it is in my life. What's the body of Christ to do? See how that load is weighing that person down as they're trying to continue to run the, the, the race and to help them carry and shoulder and bear that burden. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying then in Hebrews 12, 12, when he says, strengthen those, those weak hands. Strengthen those, those knees of those folks around you that are beginning to buckle under the weight and, and maybe under the longevity of the race. And so it just reminds us how we need to be sensitive to each other and really 
look out for one another. And that's why I always share with people, the real key to the Christian life is, if you want to keep it simple, is Psalm 23.1, where David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. And the idea is, if I'm following my shepherd, he's meeting my needs, needs, which frees me to meet somebody else's needs. If I'm looking to other people to meet my needs that really only my shepherd can meet, then I'm never going to be lifting my head to look out for what I can do for others, because it's always about me and what, what can people do for me. And I need to be looking to my shepherd, who's a faithful shepherd, and who's going to take good care of me, to, to take care of me so that I can lift up my head and I can begin to look around at others who are hurting, who need that word of encouragement. So again, how can we make this real practical? Well, maybe there's a phone call you need to make sometime this week. Maybe there's a card you need to write. Uh, maybe there's a visit you and I need to make. I, I don't know what that looks like, but all I'm saying is I know that all of us, probably the Holy Spirit could lay somebody on our hearts and in our minds that is in this condition that we're talking about here tonight, where they either have an extra heavy load, or like Hebrews 12, 12 says, they're just worn down, and they need that strengthening. They need that encouragement. Uh, go over with me also, these are powerful verses, uh, to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. So just, uh, Ephesians is the book right next door to Galatians to the right. Now here's the key. How can I remain strong in order to, you know, strengthen others, allow God to strengthen me? And, and again, in the context here in Ephesians chapter 6, he's talking about spiritual warfare, but this principle just holds true for the entire Christian life when he says, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, finally he says, the last thing I want to lay on your minds and in your hearts is this, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Be strengthened. In other words, allow God to strengthen you and me. Don't try to go through the day in your own strength. Navigate each day in the strength that God supplies. Allow Him to strengthen you. That ties in with that great passage in Isaiah where we're to mount up with wings like eagles and you know, run and not get weary and you know, walk and keep on hanging in there by allowing the Lord to strengthen us. And let's not forget the word power there in the New Testament is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and I as Christians every day. Don't forget that. And we need to remind other people of that too. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. In fact, you know what? I don't want you to take my word for it. This is a Bible study. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Just so you think, ah, Jeff, he's a heretic. He doesn't know he's talking about. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's praying. Look at verse 19. I, I could start in verse 15 with the beginning of the prayer. But in Ephesians 1, 19, the last part of the prayer is he, he wants the Ephesian Christians, as he's praying, to know what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Many people, even believers, struggle with the incomparable greatness of this power available to us. And notice he goes on to say, as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength, this power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at a right hand in heavenly realms. Wow. You've got resurrection power available to you every day, throughout the day, 24-7. 
365 days out of the year. So that's how we can strengthen others because we are allowing the resurrection power to strengthen us. One other verse. Go through the book of Ephesians and go to the book of Colossians. The book after the book of Philippians. You have Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. See, you're going to know these books here in the middle of the New Testament. And I normally don't do this, but these are great verses and I just wanted you to see them tonight. Because sometimes, you know, somebody can say them, but if you see them, that means something. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, again, Paul is praying here. And one of the things he's praying for is this. Verse 11 of Colossians 1, that you and I would be strengthened. Again, allowing God to strengthen us with all power according to His glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness. Oh my golly. You mean God's power is powerful enough to keep me patient when I need to be patient? Yeah. Although I just advise you, don't pray for patience. Just don't even go there, you know. But rely on His power to keep you patient when you and I need to be patient and steadfast. In other words, continuing to kick and get that second wind and stay in the race whenever we feel like giving up and throwing in the towel. Oh, and here's the, the coup de gras. It's not just a matter of His power gives us enough to just stay in there, but to do it, notice what the next word, joyfully. You mean I can even like it? This is great. Yeah, exactly. God's power not only gives us the ability to do what He wants us to do, but to do it with a good attitude. To do it joyfully. How good is that? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, God is great, man. He, he, and His power is great. And that's why you know people come all the time and, and I know that they, they sit across from me and, and you know they've got that, that maybe that hopelessness and that they're struggling right now. But what I try to just infuse with them, the verse is here to say, but God's power is available to you and you're not going to stay that way and, and God's going to get you back into the race and He's going to... Because God is a God of restoration. Amen? Amen. I, I, God is not a God who sees you know, somebody stranded on the side of the road and just passes them by and keeps on going. One of my favorite verses, and I haven't shared this for a while, it's in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. It's a great picture of our, of our God. It says a dim wick or a wick that is like flickering and about ready to go out. It says our God will not put that, that flame out. It says a broken reed. In other words, a picture of a plant that's maybe broken a little bit. It says our God will not come along and snap that clean off. No, here's the picture of our God in the book of Isaiah. That the wick that is flickering and about ready to go out, God will come along and fan that flame and get that Get that light going again. And that plant that has been broken off a little bit and it needs some TLC, that he comes alongside and he gets that plant back up there and ties it up so it can be growing again. That's the picture of our God. And we're going to talk more about this next week when we get further into the book of Hebrews. Speaking of Hebrews, let's go back there now. So I've got a lot more I'd like to share with you. All right, a few other things, and I'm going to stop for questions or comments. So I think we get the idea of this whole strengthening thing, right? All right, we need to strengthen each other, but we also need to be strengthened in order that we strengthen others. Then, verse 14. The other thing we talked about that I wanted to remind us of was not only be strengthened, but be careful, because as we get tired physically, emotionally, and spiritually in our lives, 
Sometimes we're not careful, first of all, in our personal relationships. Sometimes we get sloppy in how we relate to each other. That's why in verse 14 he says, By the way, as you're running this race, always pursue peace with everyone. In other words, make it as big of a goal as you can to make sure that you keep your relationships with other people what they should be as much as you can. I love this word pursue. It's also the word hunt. Saying, hunt down those people, but don't hunt them down to get them. (laughs) Hunt them down to make peace with them and hunt them down to have a cool relationship with them. Pursue them. Go after them just like Jesus and hunt them down to have peace. Now, I realize some of you are here like me going, I've tried to have peace with them. There ain't no peace there. I mean, they're not allowing peace. I understand that. And we've got a good verse for that. Keep your finger there and go back of Romans. I know, I'm blowing you guys up tonight. Please come back, please. Romans. Now I've got to remember where it's at. Okay, memory. <laughs> Romans. Oh. Here it is, here it is. I, yeah, no. I deserve that, I deserve that. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Some of you are going to go, oh, I never saw that verse. This is a good one for me. Because it was good for me too to remind myself of. That it's not totally my responsibility for the lack of peace in a relationship. Notice Romans 12, 18. By the way, we're going to be studying the book of Romans in the fall. Yeah, I'm excited. And you know why I'm excited about that book? No other book in the entire Bible shows us how a life defined by God looks more than the book of Romans. In other words, the question I would ask is, have you ever allowed God to define who you are rather than yourself or somebody else? And if so, what does a life defined by God look like? We're going to be studying that next fall beginning in August. I hope you'll come back to the mind in August after the summer break. But look at Romans 12, 18. Paul says, if what? Possible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. In other words, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's not kind of, he's just saying, hunt down a peaceful relationship with people. But there may come a point where you have done everything you can do to make peace or to have peace, and they want none of it. That's not your responsibility. It takes two to have a peaceful relationship. All God is saying is make sure that when you and I lay our head on that pillow at night, that we've done everything to try to restore that relationship or to have that relationship at peace. Now, again, that may even mean we move beyond that relationship, but that we move beyond it in peace, if you will. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God takes Peace and unity amongst His people very highly. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, to us as Christians, maintain the unity that you have in Christ. He doesn't say create the unity because we can't create the unity that we have in Christ. The unity has already been there because of Christ. All God says is just maintain it. Also, just don't mess it up. (laughs) I've given you unity through Christ. Don't mess it up. Maintain that unity as much as you possibly can. 
Pursue peace with all people. Let's not get sloppy in our relationships with other people. And then back to Hebrews before I stop. The last part of that verse is also equally, if not more important. He also says, pursue or hunt down holiness. For without it, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And here's simply what he's saying. He's saying you and I have to acknowledge or get to the point in our Christian walk and, and as we're running the, the race, that if, we want to, if we want to be close to God, who's a holy God, that we've got to strive after holiness. That, that I can't be living my life in sin and in rebellion against God and somehow think God's going to stay close. I mean, I'm going to, I mean it's not that God ever leaves me, but it, it, I'm just not going to have that close relationship because... My sin and my rebellion, my walking away in a sense at that point is going to break the fellowship that I have. And I, I can't expect a, an ooey-gooey close relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God abiding with Him unless I'm pursuing holiness. That's why God, God builds in so many cool things into the Christian. That's why like if you have a Christian who has fallen away from God, they don't feel as close to God as they used to. But again, that's not to be a discouragement. That's actually to drive them back to Him. Because he's, he's actually always been there. But because you and I went our own way for a while, like the prodigal, you know, we separated ourselves from God. So that's why God allows sort of that, that thing in our heart, that longing, that yearning for that close relationship. Because hopefully, like the prodigal, we get to the point of like, man, I miss God. I, I, miss, I miss what I used to have with God. I, I miss that close relationship that I have with God. And I just need to get my life turned back around. I know what I need to do. I need to repent. I need to put first things first. I need to put God first in my life. I need, I need to begin to read my Bible again. I need to begin to pray. I need to begin to fellowship with other believers who can strengthen me and all of that. That's what I need to do. And as we do that, guess what? We're pursuing holiness. We're hunting it down. We're, as we say here, we're chasing after God. We are chasing Jesus Christ. We are pursuing Him. And the Bible promises, draw near to God and He will what? Draw near to you. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It's not that He's ever left, but there's that intimacy, that, that experience because we go after God, as the writer of Hebrews says. So he said, here's what's happened. Throughout this race, you've gotten a little sloppy. Because you've gotten spiritually, emotionally, and physically tired. And you've not allowed God to strengthen you. And you're not allowing others to strengthen you. One of the things that happens, and I see this all the time, is when people struggle, they do the one thing that they shouldn't do. They isolate themselves. They get away from everybody else, which is just the opposite of what we should do. We should actually run to people and say, I'm hurting. I, I, I'm struggling right now. I need you. But... For whatever it is, whether we believe the lies of Satan, whether we have that personal embarrassment or shame or whatever, we begin to struggle. And what do we do? We just keep drifting away from other people and drifting away from the church. The very place that we actually need to be at that point in order to be strengthened. And then when we allow ourselves to be strengthened by God and by others, hopefully then, even when the race gets a little hard... Our relationships with each other won't get sloppy. Our relationship with God will not get sloppy as well. All right. Comments, questions. Sorry, I won't get, I'll get a little bit more excited about this in a few minutes.
you got to understand, I go from week to week, okay? You know, it's like, I wish I could do, like, the mine every night. See, then I'd be, a, well, I probably wouldn't be either. I'd be just as bad. Okay, all right. Anything. Got to have a day of rest. Yes, Marty. The question was, maybe it's a balancing act, is when, when uh, you try to step in and help carry someone else lower, it's going to bring a that's a great question. And, and I think the Spirit of God has got to direct us in that moment and we've got to have the sort of the peace of God as we walk in that moment to know, is this something I should back off from and let them go? And I'll just... I think the simple answer, but I think the biblical answer is this. It all depends on their attitude. That's what Jesus would say. In other words, what's their attitude? If, if they've created this situation due to, say, their own sin, and they, they did something stupid, and maybe they say, hey, this was stupid, but, but there's a repentance there. There's a, hey, I, I know I was wrong, and, and I need to do this right, and I'm learning from this mistake and all that. That's, that's totally different than somebody who, hey, I haven't done anything wrong and, and I don't understand why this is happening to me and I'm just, they just thumb their nose up at God and just keep on going. Whole different way we handle people like that. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us even as, as church leaders. It depends on the attitude of the person who's going through it. And I think also God gives us the wisdom and discernment to know a lot of times, not always, is this something they're going through because it was brought on by their own sin and they're just feeling the consequences of their own sin? Or is this something that, again, just like a meteor out of the sky was just dumped into their life and they just didn't see it coming? And we can say, you know what, they didn't know that about that. That was a, a doctor's report out of the blue or, or that was an accident or that was something like that. So I think when we take all that into consideration, we can navigate that pretty well. But that's an excellent question. Excellent question. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Sorry, you know I don't stop very long, do you? In verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 12, the next thing we need to be careful about is coming short of the grace of God so that bitterness does not begin to spring up in us. And again, I don't want to take a lot of time. I've talked about this a little bit before, but I'll just say this. The bottom line is this. As I run the race of life, there are going to be times where things come into my life and God's going to give me the grace to deal with it properly, biblically, like Christ. And I have a choice at that time. I can either receive the grace of God and navigate that moment in my life well to bring honor to God and to be a testimony for Him, or I can push the grace of God away. And here the Bible says very specifically, and I see this all the time with counseling, that what ends up happening somewhere along the road of life is that something happened in a person's life they did not receive the grace of God. They pushed it away. And as they pushed that away, they began to get bitter down deep, deep, deep. They stuffed something. They, they were hurt, whatever, and they didn't deal with it and unpack it properly. And so they stuffed it. And all of a sudden, this root. Now, again, you don't see the fruit of the root for a long time. But he says that root of bitterness starts inside that person. And it might not manifest itself as bitterness actually for months or years, but eventually it's going to come out. 
Because that root of bitterness that starts in there when we push God's grace away is eventually going to come out. And notice he goes on to say, here's one of the awful things about bitter people. Is that bitter people don't just affect themselves. Notice he goes on to say there, they defile and affect everybody who comes in contact with them. And you and I know that to be true. You and I have ever been around a bitter person? You know, not a place we like to be. It's not a comfortable place, is it? Because they are so bitter and they are so angry and they are so full of just junk. It's not a pleasant place to be. And obviously, I think we saw an extreme case of how that bitterness come out at Virginia Tech. Because that young man that we talked about last week, one of the problems there was, yeah, he probably had been hurt. As I said last week, didn't have a lot of meaningful, of any meaningful relationships in his life. And he became a very angry, bitter young man. Now, I realize that's the extreme. But that bitterness and that anger, when we reject God's grace throughout our life, can still come out in very ugly ways and can affect our relationship with God, can affect our relationship with other people. In fact, I've told people before, I had the privilege of of debating the world's number one atheist at one time in my life. And uh, one of the, the things that you hear when you do the debating thing with people who are claiming to be agnostics and atheists is when it comes right down to it, if they're honest, they will tell you that they have as much doubt about being an atheist and not really knowing whether there's a God as sometimes we struggle with doubt, believing God or not. And agnostics the same way. They have as much, you know, sometimes I think we Christians like, well, I'm sure that atheist never doubts whether they're, yeah, he does. Of course he does. But here's the key, especially with, with people when you really get down and they're honest, they'll say this. There was a time in my life where God didn't do what I thought He should or something. He, he didn't work the way I wanted Him to work. Or something happened that I even wondered if there was a God, because if there was and all of this, would, how would He allow this to happen, yada, yada. And again, there was that opportunity to receive God's grace, but they didn't. They rejected it. And over a period of time, they became so bitter and angry with God that they didn't know how to funnel that, how to focus that. And obviously, you and I can't like sit across from God literally in a physical way and like take out our anger on Him. So what's the next best thing that human beings do? They just say, you know what? I'm just going to pretend like He's not even there. I don't believe in you, God. You know, you don't even exist. And somehow they think that's like really going to, you know, I guess get God upset or something that, that we don't believe in Him. Um, uh, And that's how they take out their frustration with God. That's how they take many of them out their anger and their bitterness. That's why I always tell people, as we navigate the Christian life, be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And when God pours out His grace, receive His grace. Accept His grace. Because His grace, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, is sufficient. And God's grace is amazing. And God's grace is wonderful. And we sing about here at the church, your grace is enough. And it truly is. His grace can help us navigate the toughest, hardest times of life and get us through anything. It's there. It's available. We've talked about that already in the book of Hebrews. How in Hebrews 4.16, he says, come boldly unto the throne of grace. That you can find help when you need it. It's always there when we need it. 
But if we push it away, that's where the bitterness and all of that can begin to come. And then we can also become short-sighted. Be careful that we don't begin to live for the moment. That we live for just the here and now as we're running the race of life and that we're not keeping eternity in perspective. He uses the example here beginning in verse 16 of Esau. He says, And see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Now you and I read that and go, Oh, he was stupid. A birthright in those days was huge. I mean, the, the inheritance and all of that and the privileges that went along. But if you read the story of Esau, basically what happened is he went out hunting one day and he got hungry. And because he got hungry and there they are with food, he's like, oh, I'll give you my birthright for some, a pot of stew. I think I'd have stayed hungry for a little bit longer. But what it's showing us is, you know, we, we are hard on Esau, but sometimes we're the same way. We've got this, this earthly thing right in front of us, and I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I can't wait. I've I got to have that thing. And it's just an earthly thing. It's just a temporary thing. And, and, and God may be saying, hey, listen, be very careful that you and I don't get so short-sighted in life that it affects our decision-making to the point where we're sacrificing the real important things of life, the eternal things, because of the temporal things that Esau did. And then notice verse 17, for you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing with tears. Wow, how sad. But you know what? I've got to confess, there's been many times in my life where I sacrificed the eternal for the temporal. And he's just reminding us as we're running the race, again, what, what, when people get tired and when they run the race, what, what's the first thing? One of the first, they, they drop their head. And they begin to look down at their feet and look down at the ground and they get very short-sighted. And obviously we all know if you've ever run, you've ever been in marathons or whatever, that no matter how tired you are, that the key is keep your head up and keep looking in the distance and keep looking towards the goal. That's why at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, what's the thing he tells us to do? Look to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, is now set down at the right hand of God the Father. Look to Jesus. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. I love the picture in the Psalms of God being the lifter of our head. The Bible teaches us, hey, at times when we're running the, the race, we get discouraged. We, we get down. God understands that. But the cool picture, again, of God going back to the Old Testament is not just the one who comes along and gets to plant and, and, and the fire that's about ready to go out. But the Bible says He literally lifts my head up. You know, you run into so many people, they're just, they go through life like this. Life has weighed them down, they, they don't like themselves, they, whatever. And, and, and they go through life, not just literally like this, but, but in a sense, spiritually and emotionally, they are down. Their head is down. And God says, I want to come into your life, I want to lift up your head. I want to lift up your head because you're a child of the King, of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you should lift your head high. You shouldn't hang your head when you're a child of the King. And then secondly, as we lift our head, we not only are taking pride in our own relationship with God, but by lifting our head, we're able to strengthen others and see them and be able to encourage them that if we're, our head is hanging down, we can't see them. So God wants to lift our head tonight. He wants to lift you up. He wants to encourage you, which leads to this next passage of Scripture that I'm not going to take a lot of time to go into depth on. But beginning in verse 18, he compares Mount Sinai, where the law was given to Moses, with Mount 
uh, Zion in Jerusalem, which represents the new covenant. And here's what I'm just simply going to say. We've talked about being strengthened. We've talked about being careful. Now he wants us to be bold. If you read that passage from verse 18 uh, down through verse 24, he just contrasts and compares the two. And basically, he says, you realize that even Moses was fearful. I mean, the great Moses uh, in verse 21, that whole Mount uh, Sinai thing with the, the cloud and the, you know, you remember, you watched Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, right? Come on, come on. You know your Old Testament history. Okay, I'm sorry. I, the, anyway, uh, it, it, was, it was a fearful thing. And, and it almost was to the point of, yes, God is a holy God. And that was one of the things he said, look, approach to me has not been opened yet because Christ has not come. And that's part of the difference, in a sense, between the old covenant and the new. Remember, in the new covenant, the writer of Hebrews tells us we all have access to God now. In the Old Testament, it was just a high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now all of us can have access into the very presence of God anytime, anywhere. It's a great privilege. And so he's contrasting that here. And he says, instead of being afraid, even like Moses was, he said, be bold. Go into the presence of God. You have not come to Mount Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And you've come to all these great resources and all these better things of the new covenant that, that trump the things of the old covenant that, that were better than those. And he says, be bold. Come to God. Come to God. Take that access that you and I have. And, and don't take it for granted. And come before God. Be bold. But then he says, verse 25, be receptive, which goes back to what we talked about last week. When we come into God's presence, let's remember something, and I have to remind myself of this almost every day, that prayer, like any kind of important communication, is a two-way street. It's not just me. You know, if I have a friendship and I'm the only one talking, that doesn't really do much for the relationship. In fact, my wife and I, I've got to tell them this story. We were out for a cup of coffee the other night, and this couple was on a date. You just you can tell couples that are on dates and couples that aren't. You know you can just tell this couple is on a date. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and I, we're, we're, this this girl, I, I think we must have sat beside her for 20 minutes. She talked for 19 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> and he wasn't saying a word because he couldn't, you know. <laughs> And we were just talking about the fact that, wow, you know, it's a one-sided communication right there. And it wasn't even like, you know, she was ever asking him any questions, trying to get it. She was just kept on talking, you know. Listen, prayer, prayer is not just a one-way communication where prayer is me going into God's presence and talking to Him and sharing with Him and requesting... Prayer is being still before God. That's why the Old Testament psalm says, be still and know that I am God. Is being still before God and allowing God some time to talk to us. See, God can talk to us when we're still? Yeah. If you and I have the Holy Spirit of God within us, He'll talk to you. It may be reminding you of a verse. It may be reminding you of a message. It may be reminding you of the words of a song. But God's going to speak to your heart and to my heart if we give Him a chance to. And that's why then beginning in verse 25, He says, as you and I go and get into God's presence, it's great to talk to Him and He wants us to talk to Him, but make sure you and I take time to let Him talk to us and when He begins to talk to us, let's not refuse the One who's speaking. Let's be receptive 
to what He's saying to us. There's a lot of folks who say, boy, if God just spoke to me, I'd, I'd do it, right? Uh, God says, I, I speak to people all the time. Their heart's not receptive. And we talked about that hardness of heart and how that's, that really pictures that receptiveness. So I'm not going to spend any time there, but I do want to get to the end of chapter 12 tonight so we can pick it up in chapter 13 next Tuesday evening. He then goes on to quote this prophecy out of the Old Testament book of Haggai. He says, oh, and by the way, he says, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven too. Now this phrase, once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, of created things, temporal things, so that what is unshaken may remain. So since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks, and through this, let us offer pleasing to God, worship pleasing to God, and devotion and all. Let me say this. This is so cool. God says, and folks, you and I need to realize that because we're connected with God, we have the privilege of touching eternity. In other words, we, we have things in our lives that cannot be shaken. It doesn't matter whether this you know, huge earthquake comes and would wipe out anything physically and everything physically that I have, that the things that are truly important in my life are things that cannot be shaken in heaven or in earth. And that even if God allows a little shaking, it's not going to matter because it can't be shaken. And we have to remind ourselves of that. The most important things of life in our life are the things that can't be shaken. Now let me just take this principle too and I want to just turn it a little bit. I believe that's why God, every once in a while in our lives, even in our personal lives, even though this is talking about a prophecy that is going to come true one day, I believe God every once in a while allows our lives to be sifted a little bit and shaken. Not to hurt us, but to remind us of what's truly important. And to remind us of those things in our life that can't be shaken. So that we can again direct our attention more to those things and these things that we get caught up with that can be shaken. Those created things, those temporal things, those things like Esau got caught up with because he was hungry so he sold his birthright. So as God speaks to us, one of the things the author here is saying is God's going to remind us of those unshakable things. Those what I like to call those big rocks in my life. And I'm going to illustrate that in just a moment if you've never heard the illustration. And then I want to just go to verse 29 to wrap this up. Some people go, well then what does verse 29 have to do? That sort of scares me a little bit. Our God is a consuming fire. Yeah, that's encouraging, right? Yeah, it is in this way. Here's how God means us to take that verse. God loves us so much and wants us to, to have that abundant life that where we get the most out of the life that He has given to us, that throughout our Christian life, because He loves us, He's going to try to consume out of our life everything contrary to Him and to us. And He's going to replace it with something better. That's how cool God is. And that's why He calls Himself a consuming fire. God says, look, whatever I want to take out of your life, you've got to trust Me that that's no good for my relationship with you, your relationship with other people. It's not the best for you. But what I will give you in its place is better. And that's where our faith comes in. So whatever God takes out of our life, He's going to give us something even better. Because I'm telling you folks, 
I've walked with God now for 30 plus years and one of the things I keep coming back to is I can't outgive God. I can't outgive God. I, I, God is, is such a giver and He's so generous. And if God takes something out of my life, He knows that whole thing about the vacuum of a human being as well. He's going to replace it. He's not going to leave it empty. And He's going to replace it with stuff that's even greater than what I had before. That's why sometimes in my life, yeah, you know, God didn't allow this to work out or that to work out and I began to get discouraged and, and God just gently spoke to me and said, you, you realize that what I've got coming for you is even better than what you think. Let me give you an illustration of that because I love being here at Cornerstone. I love it. When we, <laughs> when we moved out to the valley, many of you don't know this story. I've been a pastor. We've been in the ministry for 20 plus years at that point and we just believed God wanted us out here. I didn't have a church. We, by faith, come out here. I worked at Starbucks for a year uh, when we moved out here. Now, after that first uh, that year, I'm thinking, you know, like we would, did I make a mistake? Uh, you know, and all of this. And then, you know, you begin to think, well, you know, there, there was this church here and there was an opportunity there and, and maybe I should have taken that. And, and then there was another church in the valley that, well, maybe I should have taken that and and I just knew, God said, I just want you to just wait. Just, just wait just a little bit longer. i got something really cool for you, but you just need to wait and know that what I have taken out of your life, I'm going to replace with something even better. Again, God wants me to trust Him. So I did. And it wasn't probably a week after that, Lisa's looking on the internet and goes, there's this church in Chandler called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. They're looking for a teaching pastor. You want me to send your resume? Here was my response at that point, because I had gotten worn down. I said, go ahead, what's it going to hurt? Whatever. It wasn't like, yeah, I think God's got my best interest at heart. And he's No, I had gotten worn down. Yeah, go ahead. God, again, being patient, said, but I've got something good for you, Jeff. I've got something good for you. And boy, it's been a great two years here at Cornerstone that I've been here. Um, so it just shows us, you know, whatever God wants to maybe take out of our life, He's going to give you something to replace it, and it's going to be better than you could ever imagine on your own. God has good things. Now, here's how I want to set up chapter 13, though, for next week. The illustration I want to use is an illustration called the Big Rock illustration. Here's what happens. This college professor came into his class one day, and he says, class, I want to give you an illustration. And he had this like big sort of like container. And he put these bigger rocks in and they fell down in. And then, then he had this other container and they were a little bit smaller rocks. And he put those in and, you know, he kept on going. And each thing that he put in, it was a little bit smaller. Finally, he put this like sand in, you know, and it just sort of, you know, the sand just sort of filtered down in and went through the cracks and everything. And pretty soon... This, this large container was all filled up with, with sand and small rocks and medium-sized rocks and big rocks and all of that, and it was sort of even overflowing at the top. He says, okay, class, he says, now, what did that illustrate? One of his students raises his hand and says, I think I know, prof, I think I know. And so he says, okay, what's that mean? He says, I think what it means is you just keep cramming stuff into your life and you can make it fit. He says, well, that wasn't actually what I was going for, although some of us live that way. He said, no, here's the point I wanted to make. 
If you don't put the big rocks in first, they won't go in at all. If you don't put the big rocks in first, they won't go in at all. And what chapter 13 of Hebrews is talking to us about are those big rocks in God's mind. Those things that He values. So if you and I want to know as we're running the race, what are some things that He truly values? We're going to find out as we begin to navigate next week through Hebrews chapter 13. Looking at them, things that can't be shaken. Things that will strengthen us. Things that we can use to strengthen others. All right. Comments? Questions? Oh, well, come on. We've got, we got a few minutes and I'm going to fill them up. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. And I'm saying that the Bible allows divorce in certain instances. And God and you and I can even do divorce honorably. You understand what I'm saying? So that's not violating what God is saying here. And I believe that God, again, it goes back to that trust issue like you're saying. If I just trust God, God's got something good for me. It's like folks who even, not even using that illustration, but maybe they have stumbled in their life and they've gotten away from God and sometimes they get to the point in despair where they say, if I give my heart back to God, it's almost, it's almost like struggling to believe that if I surrender my life to God, that God's ever going to use me again because I've drifted so far away from God and God wants to say, listen, this, this finish of your race, this second half of your life or second half of this, this is, this is going to be better than the first. You've just got to trust me on that where we don't think that somehow we've done something in the past that's necessarily going to be something that's going to always negatively affect the future. That's what Satan wants us to think. That's what Satan wants us to think. That's not from God. In fact, if I could just real quickly, word study. The word devil, and I'll end with this. The word devil in the Greek language, diabolos, the word literally means one who seeks to come between. That's what the word devil means. One who seeks to come. It's from two words, dia, bolos, throw through. Literally to come between. So what the devil tries to do in our life, he tries to come between us and our God. He tries to come between us and our spouse. He tries to come between us and our children. He tries to come between us and our friends. He tries to come between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. The devil, number one mission, going back to even how we can wrap this all up and tie it all up, we talked about how God wants to bring people together. Satan wants to divide people and come between people in all walks of life and every relationship. That's what the word devil means. One who seeks to come between. So as you and I walk that walk with God, we have to recognize that. The Bible says we are not to be ignorant of the devil or his schemes and his strategy. And if we know that he seeks to come between us and God and us and others, that that should help us, again, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might as we put on that spiritual armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Satan wants to come between. He doesn't want you to think that, you know, God can use you and all of that. And I'll just say this. 
God's got a wonderful plan for all of your lives. And many of you, God has already used. But don't think like the best days of your Christian life are behind you or here now. You've got to keep thinking the best days of your life with God are ahead of you. Amen? Amen. I mean, you and I got to think that. They are ahead. They're not behind. They're not now. The best days are ahead. You remember that. Alright? I love you guys. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray tonight that You would just lift our heads up and just encourage us as only You can do. Because Father, even though we have been reminded tonight how we need to strengthen and encourage others, Father, we can't do it as good as You can. And I, I know that doesn't absolve us of the responsibility to do it. We need to do whatever we can to encourage each other. But Father, we know You are the God of all comfort. You are the encourager of all encouragers. And I pray tonight, Father, as we leave here, that all of us would just feel a little bit closer to You, a little bit more built up, a little bit more refreshed, a little bit more re-energized to continue to run that race. To be strong, to be careful, to be bold, to be receptive to everything You want to do in our lives. God, thank You for this great group tonight. And I pray that this group would continue to grow. We've got a church now of probably almost 5,000 people and it'd be great to have hundreds of people come out to study the Bible on Tuesday night. So Lord, I just, I just, I'm praying that we're going to gain some momentum even as we wind down this semester. And by next fall, Lord, we may have to move somewhere else. I, I just, I'm just asking for that, Father. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we just pray You'll take us home safely. And Father, whoever that was in that accident tonight, again, we just lift them up to You. Pray for healing spiritually, emotionally, and physically in their life. Just, Lord, take care of them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. See you next week.